0: have the privilege of sitting and listening, as we're going to have a uh, preacher come and preach in the pulpit for us this morning, and you will not be disappointed. Um, It is President uh, Nick Ringer. He's the president of Alaska Bible College. I should also call him Pastor Nick Ringer. He's pastored several churches and um, is operating in a lay pastoral function at Mountain View Baptist Now, which is a sister church of ours with... Um, the Richardsons, Dennis and Celeste Richardson, who you know and love. And uh, anyway, Dennis is here, this, I mean, I'm sorry, Nick is here this morning to preach the Word of God to us. And he is no stranger to us because he has been equipping many of you in our flock over the past several years as he has brought Alaska Bible College to our church facility um, over the years. And what he did... Um, to pioneer that um, with a friend of his, a co-teacher, was they used to drive in on Wednesday nights or Thursday mornings from Glen Allen, which is four or five hours in terms of ice, right, and and snow, and they would come in and teach and preach and deliver their education to our flock and then drive home, and so they did that for a few years, and now Nick has moved closer, so it's not so psychopathic now and he lives in Palmer and so he ministers at Mountain View and then comes here on Thursday nights. He's teaching New Testament survey here on our campus and I would just uh, ask you, you know, to avail yourselves of those opportunities that come um, your way. Uh, he's been at the college, Alaska Bible College, for 10 years but the president for the last five. He has seven children so he's a man after my own heart. Um, his kids are, are grown and out of the house though so he's got a, a different, you know, a different lifestyle now. But um, one grandchild and his wife Jeanette, and uh, let's welcome up Nick Ringer as he comes to preach the word of God to us.
1: Can I remove this? Yes. Don't don't pull. Just push the button. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you all. It's a pleasure to be here. It really is. I wanted to say a thank you to the musicians and the singers. It's uh, really encouraging. Thanks to the, the guys back in the booth, Steve, Aaron, who's ever back there. Uh, you guys do a great job, make me sound better than I would otherwise, so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, you made it. Got your clocks turned. Or for those of you who are first service people, this is the second service. <laughs> um, and as I said in the early service, uh, the fact that they say turn your clocks back, right? Spring or forward, spring forward, right? Um, the fact that you can be informed, right? And it uh, will affect your life. Well, if you didn't turn your clock forward, it, it certainly affected your life. I'm going to talk about today is how the Word of God will affect our lives, if we will allow it. The Word of God will affect our lives. I'm uh, currently at the Bible College, and one of the things I see is an epidemic proportion. Young students are coming to us from all over the country, and more and more we're finding that they have not allowed the Word of God. They either don't know the Word of God or they haven't allowed the Word of God to affect them on a day-to-day basis. They come to us and we train them in the Scriptures. But just because you know the Scriptures, just because you've been taught how to handle or or how to exposit the Scriptures does not mean that you've necessarily allowed it to change you. And that's where it gets critical. Uh, We want to know the mind of Christ. But then more than that, we want to live Christ. Christ should live and walk in us. And that's where we're going to aim today. Harry Blumirez wrote back in the late 50s, early 60s, in his book, uh, The Christian Mind. He says, there is no Christian mind. He says that all of us in Western culture have been in some part secularized. Um, secularism is kind of a way of saying non-religious. I'll just call it Godlessness. There's a godlessness of this age that has infiltrated the hearts and minds of Christians. When I first read that, I was insulted. How dare he say that? But more I realize, uh, I find that that may be very well true. And my desire is to combat that with all the strength that the Lord would give me. Um, so the question that I want to start out with is, uh, what part of our lives... Does the Word of God affect? I'm going to read to you um, from Whitney. Uh, This book is out there on your little bookshelf. I recommend it if you haven't picked it up yet. Go out and get it. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And then 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Health. I got mine in one book, but there's two out there. One for each. When it comes to deciding how the Word of God affects our life... Um, He quotes R.C. Sproul and saying, why doesn't it affect our lives? R.C. Sproul says it painfully well. Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, and not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy, he says. And I added to that, uh, maybe it's not laziness, but it's simply inconvenient for my life. It simply fails to give me the immediate personal gratification that I desire out of everything that I do. The Word of God takes time to work in my heart and life. It takes effort to get to it, to actually know it enough to allow it to change me. And we're going to work on a passage today that's going to help us, I believe. It's going to help us let the Word of God come into all parts of our life as much as we are able. Uh, turn with me if you have your Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and in your bulletin, at least from the one I saw online, simply has my name at the top in your bulletin with a big open space. So you get to write notes in there. In the first service there were seven points. Second service there you get eight they didn't know that in the first service that they're gonna, you're going to get an extra one. It's free. Don't worry. Um, and the eighth one, uh, thanks to Pastor Jeff, he gave me a, a really good idea in the, in the break there. And I was like, I've got to insert that. It's too good to mess up. So uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through verses 18, let me read through them. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. May God bless his word. Um, This is a remarkable little passage. We can see a number of things happen. And what I want you to get first and foremost is the fact that the Word of God changed a whole bunch of parts of their life of these people. And I want you to see them individually. Uh, The first thing I want you to see, and it's uh, the one thing that uh, Pastor Jeff gave me in the break, is that the Word of God inspires courage. The Word of God inspires Courage. When God spoke to Peter by the sheet coming up and down, when God through the Spirit told him, go and make no distinction, he went out and did something that he had never done before in his life. He went into Gentiles, spoke with them, ate with them, He just went and did it. He he was inspired to courage by those words of God. And then when he came back around, he was immediately criticized. And with courage, and I would say with great grace, he went before them and simply said, this is what the word of God says. He had courage to do something that was brand new. And I want to say, the word of God, if you're in it, If you allow it to affect you, we'll grant you a courage that you may have never had before. A confidence to perhaps share the gospel with someone who you've been longing to share with. Or perhaps defend the faith to someone who has been critical of you at the workplace. The word of God inspired courage right here. And I trust that if you're in it, you will find that it will affect you in that way as well. Number two, also I have here is that the word of God informs our fears and confusion. The word of God informs our fears and confusion. Remember Peter, I mean Peter's, you know, he's typical. He's the same throughout. Did you notice that? Peter's up on the housetop, He, he has this vision, and God sends a sheet down filled with unclean animals and says, Peter, get up, kill this stuff and eat it. And Peter's you know, like, no, Lord, I've never done that. So he's arguing still with our Savior, right? Why wouldn't he? He was afraid. He was, he, he was confused. I mean, God, why are you telling me to do something that for hundreds and hundreds of years we've never done? I'm confused, Lord. Of course, Peter, being typical, took him three times. The sheet had to come up and down, right? Fine, fine, okay, we'll do it that way if that's what you want. But he was afraid and confused, I believe. And I believe that also the other guys, these people from the party of the circumcision were also confused and afraid. Would they be made unclean by association? If you go in with Gentiles, you might become ceremonially unclean and God would be displeased with you. I'm afraid of what might happen if they would come to our church. You know, Gentiles? You understand how much animosity there was between them and the Jews? An old Jewish prayer used to be that a man would go to prayer like so many five times a day. He would get up and he would thank God that he was not born a Gentile or a woman. Gentiles was a spit word to them. They had been fighting them for years and years. They had been tortured and tormented by the Greeks. I mean, they had been brutally dismembered for their faith as Jews. They didn't care for them very much. But the Word of God was going to inform their fears and confusion. The Word of God came along and said, as Peter was telling the story... In verse 15, he was telling us he went into Cornelius' house and began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word of God was now speaking into their fears and confusion. This is God's work. You don't have to be afraid. This is God at work. And I think he, he makes a very unique distinction here. If you look at verse 15, and this is free as well. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just on us on as on us at the beginning. two pieces there. Peter barely got started with his message. If you go back in the first, next previous chapter, you'll see that he just got started saying that let me tell you a little bit about this Jesus who God sent to be the sacrifice for sin and and it says, and while he was speaking they the spirit came upon them, and they they started speaking in tongues and they was visit they were saved and And so he never even really got the whole, you know, every head bowed, every eye closed thing going, you know. No altar call, no nothing. It's just like they just were saved. And that was just odd to him. So, um, but the other piece of it is, and he makes this unique statement. He says, "Um, uh, just if the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I'm like, at the beginning of what? So I went back and looked at it, and it's like after Pentecost, and and the Spirit came upon them with the sounds of the wind and the flames, and they received the Holy Spirit. But after that, you see that as people believed, the Holy Spirit was was required, it came by the hands of the apostles. People would believe, receive Christ, the apostles would lay hands on them, and then they would receive the Spirit. But here, no apostle laid hands on them. They just heard the word just like the, the Jews had originally. And were are saved. And he's like, God is, is acting. Don't be afraid and confused. And, and this thing that like, it just came to me like this week. What are you afraid or confused about? What, is, what has got you wrapped around the axle of life? And it came up in one of my classes this week, one of the gals whose husband is a a city firefighter. And she was really, really agitated about this whole thing with with the unions in the in the city. And and how is this going to work out? You know, and we got to be praying, you know, that God upholds the unions and. And then there was someone else in the class who was like, maybe God wants to crush the unions. We got a problem here, don't we? Can the word of God speak into even that portion of life? Can the word of God speak into your politics, into your job, into the security, into all of that? If it can't, we've got a problem. We've become secularized. We'll look at problems of life through godless eyes instead of the word of God. And those fears and confusions will be unending. Number three, and I'm going to renumber these so I don't forget and confuse you later. All right. Um, Number three, we can see that the word of God improves our relationships. Notice that Peter, who had never related to Gentiles, the word of God compelled him to go into them. How different was he than a Gentile? Well, he was a world apart. Who do we struggle in relationship with? Who are we so different from that? We want nothing to do with them, or we don't even know how to talk to them. I confess that when I uh, went to uh, Dallas for my grad school, I had literally fallen off the cabbage truck in so many ways, as a farmer from the Midwest. And suddenly I'm confronted with people of color and I was like, wow, I I don't know anything about this. And fortunately I requested a a group of men to meet with. We had to meet every week for two years and I requested a group that was diverse. And it profoundly affected me because the the word of Christ was in us and together we had a tremendous fellowship. The word of God affects your relationships. I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm not going to today. Any of you who are in marital relations ever have uh, problems? I read about it once. and <laughs> Can the word of God speak into marriage? If it's not, we are done for. Oh my goodness. If God can't talk to us through this about how I relate to people around me or my spouse or my children or my coworkers, where am I going to go? Dr. Phil? Oprah? What's going to feed my mind? Well, I mean, you could probably Google it and find something, right? About 187,000 different people have spoken. How about the God of the universe? Can he affect your relationships? Can he improve your relationships? I can say uh, with, with great gratitude um, how I've been welcomed at Mountain View Baptist. It's one of your, your, your ministries here. Uh, I've been attending there for several months. Uh, I get, a, I get a help uh, in the pulpit. Sermon. I get a help in the Sunday school class with the little kids. What an opportunity to build relationships with people very different than me. It's fun to be speaking and have hecklers in the back, so if you want to heckle, you're not gonna bother me. No, I'm just kidding. It's great fun. Uh, it it affects so much. The love of Christ, the word of God affects it. Let's see what time I'm done by noon, you said, right? Okay. I gotta tell you a story. There's this little girl in Mountain View. And she's so sweet. She's uh she's uh, a little Asian Downs girl has a little trach in. And I'm in Sunday school for the first time teaching her. And um, and I'm a little, you know, special needs kids and little kids. I don't normally do that. I'm usually in the classroom with college age and adults. And so I go through my little lesson and I and they're doing this little craft where they have a little square thing with all the little pegs and you put the little plastic buttons on it and then you iron it and it turns into something you hang, I guess. I don't know. So I'm sitting there watching the kids and they're all doing, you know, putting them on And this little girl's beside me. And she looks at me and she leans over and lays her head on me. And she says, will you help me? And so I started helping her. Her little fingers wouldn't work on that. So I'm helping her with her thing. And then she looks over at mine and starts putting them on mine. How does that work? It's, it's, it's the word of Christ, the word of God in me, that that gives me a desire to, to be with her, to be with people way different than me. And so the question is: can the word of God improve your relationships? It can do nothing but change them, I believe. Number four, the word of God, I believe, interprets our experience. The Word of God interprets our experience, our experiences in life. We have lots of experiences, and sometimes we don't know where did that come from. Was that God? Was it, the, was it demons? Was it my, my, my neighbor next door that keeps throwing trash in my yard? I don't, what, what was that? How do we interpret our experiences? Then I think uh, we have this lie going on in the world, and the lie is this. All the good stuff I have came from God, right? And all all the bad stuff I have came from Satan. So we we interpret it through that lens. That good and more is God. And bad and less is Satan. Really? Who said? Who said that to be true? But isn't that kind of what the world thinks? Isn't there the lie out there that we all want our best life now? Do we really? I, in some ways, we do. But can the Word of God inform your experience? What if you lost your job? What if the relationship crumbled and you didn't see it coming? How can I interpret that? Right in the Word of God, it's going to help you substantially. Jeremiah seventeen nine makes this delightful statement. Okay, it's not really delightful. It's quite indicting. But it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, what's it saying? It's saying that I am prone to misinterpreting what's going on in my world. I'm prone to getting it backwards or wrong or... Um, I have learned that... Um, if there's something serious I need to talk with a business acquaintance about, I don't email them anymore. I pick up the telephone or I go and see them. Why do you suppose? Well, because the heart is deceitfully wicked. When I started realizing how easily stuff can be misinterpreted, I wanted to make sure it's not badly interpreted. And um, Jeremiah later In Lamentation, you need to take a look at that if you have it close. But in Lamentation chapter 3, he shows how the Word of God interprets life. In obviously Lamentation, he is lamenting. Verse 1 of chapter 3 I am a man who's seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely. Against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's my, my, he has my, broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone and made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. What was his life like? Coming apart. It was It was it was, he was seeing his people devastated by war. And not only by war, but by a besiegement. There's a lot of those in there. And they were starving to death. They were cannibalizing their children for lack of food. And the temptation is to despair and to throw up our hands at life and, and give up because God obviously isn't in charge of the bad. He's only in charge of the Notice when he reflects on the word of God, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, the word of God interpreted his experience. When he could look through his experience of life through God's word, that God's mercies never end. Suddenly a hopeless situation had hope. The temptation for us, unfortunately, is to despair and neglect the word of God. Um, I think this is where I shared the story last time. Um, a very personal story of an experience of mine a few years ago. It's been a number of years now. Um, my family and I, were we were in a, r- a really, really difficult situation with one of my, my kids. Um, and I'm not going to go into that, but we were... We were devastated. And I was a pastor of a church. I was, I was teaching in the Bible college. And, and it was coming apart. And that's a lonely spot to be when you're in that position. Pray for your pastor, his family. Because it's hard to share that with people who, who are actually your direct reports. It's hard to share that in a church. And I was, I was, I was really wrestling in my heart. Should I even be in ministry? I mean I don't feel fit for ministry. This thing is coming apart in, in in front of me. And I was at the edge. But you just keep going. You keep preaching, you keep teaching, you just keep showing up. And as I was doing that one night, we had our evening Bible class and about 30 people showed up and I'm just teaching again, but inside this thing is just stirring and stirring and I'm god, I don't know what to do. I don't I don't think I should just quit. I just and there was a guy that showed up that night, and, and I'd never seen him before. I haven't seen him since. And, and he smelled like he'd been drinking a little bit. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. And he was polite and engaged, and, and it all went fine. And afterward, as he was everybody's leaving, he just came up, and he says, I just feel like I need to share with you um, uh, something that's been laid on my heart. I don't know why I'm sharing this. He said, but I want you to know That a true shepherd doesn't run, that a true shepherd will stay with the flock and the false shepherds will run when there's danger and there's difficulty. Thank you very much, he said, and off he went. You see, the word of God was needed for my experiences to interpret what was going on. I should have read it myself. I should have been in it myself, but I was so caught up with my life and the struggles that I had forgotten. Have you let God in his word interpret the experiences of your life or are you just stewing? We can stew on stuff, right? Yeah. Which brings me to number five. Number five is the word of God interrupts our complaints because stewing usually goes to complaining. You know, if we think on it long enough, it just kind of boils over in life, right? And we've got to find somebody who can get along with that idea. So you find somebody who will listen to your complaints and then you, blah, right? Well, yeah, and they're like, well, you don't have to put up with that. My sisters were good at that. But here we see... Look how it says that, that the word of God interrupts their complaints. The beginning, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Good news, right? Everybody, I'd be really thrilled. Verse 2 So Peter went up to Jerusalem, and the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Immediate criticism. These guys were probably Christian Jews who were Pharisees. They were of the sect of the Pharisees. Um, They were keepers of the law. And so they went after him right now. And he goes through and he explains the circumstances, he explains the experience. But as he goes down a little further, he's just finishing up his story, verse, verse 15. As I began to speak, this is Peter, the Holy Spirit fell on him just as it did us at the beginning. And I don't think he understood it then. And he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. The complaints stopped. The word of God came in. And it's like, oh, then our complaint is Bogus. Our complaint is actually complaining against what God has been doing. You remember what happened in the desert coming out of Egypt? God says, I'm going to kill them because they've complained so much. Out in your lobby, you may get a copy eventually of Bridges' book, this new book, Respectable Sins. I took it and read it, was deeply convicted, passed it to somebody else so they could be equally convicted. (laughs) I had actually intended to come and grab another copy today to read for my sermon here. But they're all gone. But let me just tell you, he, he lands on grumbling. He lands on attitudes and words that ultimately are saying, God, you are not really the center of my worldview. Because if you were really the center of my worldview, everything would be good. My best life would be now. God, what's going on here? Isn't that what we're saying? That you would step into time and fix all my problems. But when they ran into the word of God, it interrupted. It interrupted their complaining. So sometimes we should be what I would say like Job. As Job had complained against God and said, I don't understand it. I don't, can't relate to God. I, God, I, you, if you would just come down here and you and I could sit down and talk about this, we would be fine. And then remember what happens? God speaks to Job at the end. And he says, where were you? And all of the stars came together and sang and everything with creation. Where were you? And Job's like, I have said too much. I I need to cover my mouth. Because when God speaks, it interrupts our complaints. It gives clarity to life. It gives perspective that we didn't have otherwise. Number six, he inv- the word of God invites us to worship. Because notice after they shut their mouth long enough to think about this thing. Verse 18, when, the, um, when they heard these things, the word of God, they fell silent. I think they were processing it's like, like the story Fiddler on the Roof, you know, and all those Jewish people get together in the marketplace and they start arguing and he starts an argument over a horse and how old and how much, of, and pretty soon they're all talking at once. And when nobody's listening, they talk louder. And notice that I think is really funny is that, that even as he was speaking, they, I think they were still talking. Because when he came to finally to the end and the word of God just finally came out, it says, oh, and then they were silent. And then what happens? The Word of God invites us to worship. The Word of God invites us to worship. When the Word of God came to them, explained their circumstances, you know, calmed their fears, all of these things, and they thought about it, that God would baptize them and give them the same gift. They worshiped. They glorified Him. The Word of God, I really believe, prepares us for worship. It gives us the right mindset to worship Him. And you can't fake worship. When it says they worship, they glorify God, they really did. Because if you back up into Matthew 15, it talks about the people, and I'm not even going to turn there, it talks about the people who's, who's with their lips they say good things about God. But their hearts are far from Him. What does that mean? That means you can't fake it. You can't say it and not be it. They were it. They were truly glorifying God in this. this. The word of God invited them to come to worship. You cannot. I not want to say that twice. You cannot worship if you are in rebellion to the word of God. It's fake. It's pretend. One of the things I want to add on top of this is not only when they were silenced, and they were silenced. And after they contemplated, then they worshipped. But I like this. Note that they didn't just think to themselves, Wow, God has truly changed my worldview about Gentiles. And then went home. You see, it's one thing to think about it, to read about it, but they they acted. They executed what was supposed to happen after that. And, and, and frankly, I... I'm, I'm distressed at times. In my Bible classes, it's one thing to, to gain a bunch of Bible knowledge, isn't it? To know and to, to be familiar with this stuff. But if you can't execute what the Word of God is telling you to do, well, why bother? He wants to change your life. He wants you to be salt and light. He wants you to be different than a secular world out there. You can't be different apart from letting the word of God affect that. Romans chapter twelve. I have to read that one, but in chapter 12, 1, and I want to, uh, I want to appeal to you to go back and read Romans twelve one and two, but read it. Romans 9, 10 and 11 first because it starts off on the mercy of God and I think that mercy is connected to the salvation that God would bring not only to Israel but also to the Gentiles but he starts out and he says this I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. These These people of the the circumcision witnessed the mercies of God. They saw people saved. And then they responded by acting, by giving themselves in worship, by giving them bodies over to worship. So, the Word of God will invite you to worship. Uh, Number seven, um, the the Word of God will improve our theology. The Word of God will improve our theology. And we are all in process, and theology is just our knowledge or study of God, right? I, I, I grew up Mennonite, so uh, I know how to irritate Mennonites fairly easily. So we had a, a guy who came up from a church to, to speak, and he was just friends of ours. And as soon as I got to him, it was like I needed to talk about predestination and election, because I know that's their hot button, you know? So, uh, so I just, like, put that out there and waited on him, and he's like, there can't be predestination election. It just doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And I, I always get a chuckle out of that. It's like, um, just because you can't wrap your mind around it doesn't mean it's not true. Doesn't mean that it's not said here. Doesn't mean that God hasn't revealed it. You see, this word will correct our theology. Rather than our logic or secular thinking will affect it in another way. Can your theology be changed? How well do you know this? The word of God will improve your theology. Job's theology was improved. He covered his mouth. And later he worshipped through sacrifice. Jeremiah. Wow, in the lamentation, when he started to realize that God was whose God was, it changed his theology. Habakkuk, things were coming apart. And he says, if there's nothing left here, I will still worship. God is still God. The question I had here, and this was the thing that that always kind of tweaked me with this, is these Gentiles, what did they know about God? They hadn't grown up with the Bible. How can they be Christians? What about people whose theology stinks? And there is some stinky theology out there, believe me. What do you do with them? What do you do to them? Uh, No, with them. Simple. You engage the word of God. And the word of God will instruct theology. But more than all of that, all of these things are just pieces, parts. And lastly, number eight, I want you to see and as a whole that the, world, the Word of God instructs our worldview. The Word of God instructs our worldview. And that's the whole of life. It's the areas of life that, that really tweak you. Has the Word of God instructed that part of you, your being? I think I have a minute or so. And I am reminded of, remember the story of Joshua? This is a great little story. But Joshua's coming into the, into the land, and, and, and they're, they're walking with the Lord. They're inquiring of the Lord, and I mean, they're, and they're kicking butts and taking names, right? And then the Gibeonites show up, dressed in rags, old bread, worn-out shoes. We've traveled so far, right? What did Joshua fail to do? He failed to inquire of the Lord, didn't he? So he just made a deal with them. Bad deal. And it cost them. Desperately cost them. Worldview has to affect all of it. So, how do we allow the Word of God to affect our worldview? A couple pieces, and I don't have the the time, but I would recommend Whitney's book. It's out there and the thing. But he makes this statement. Make time for God's Word. If you can't do this, you are not dependent on Scripture and never will be. Just as we schedule times to eat physical food, so we must with our spiritual food. Jonathan Edwards said, resolved in one of his resolutions to study Scripture so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I might find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Have you grown lately? Are you plateaued in your spiritual walk? The word of God will do that. So here's what I would want. Here's your first job. If you, if you don't have a, st- a steady time of studying the scripture, reading the scripture for yourself, and I don't want you just to read it, I want you to meditate on it. If you don't have that, set it up today. Go online. There's a, hundreds of reading plans that you can just go online and get them. Great stuff there. But I think you should read the scriptures through at least three times a year at least three times a year, so the Spirit of God has something to work with you in your life. He will bring it to bear when the time comes, if you have put it in there. Read it. Meditate on it. Read it. Meditate on it. It's the only thing that will affect your worldview in the right direction. And secondly, do this. Sit down this week and, and write out five or six things or areas of your life that you may not have allowed the Word of God to affect yet. Usually it's your hot buttons. If you're married, your spouse will give them to you right like that. It's obvious you haven't got the Word of God in that part. Or find a friend. Why? Because as much as it irritates me that Belmeras says there is no Christian mind, I believe that it, with study and the Word and the body of Christ working together, that we can't have a Christian mind. We can't have a worldview that's Christian. That the decisions we make are driven by God's word. That's his desire. It's his intention for us. I pray to God that we would pursue that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great grace you've given us by sharing us this word, by giving us the scriptures, by giving us the lives of Peter and and these Judaizers and the Gentiles who through their lives we can see our lives. And through their lives, we can see the importance of allowing your word to change us. I pray that we could have Christian minds. I pray that we would open up all areas of our hearts and lives to you. That we would inquire of you and your word consistently. That we would in no way disgrace you with our life. Lead us to that end, Lord. Challenge us to your word. And by your spirit, strengthen us to the task.